you ready to talk about our our boyfriends or our favorite person? Yes, I'm ready to I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> Him, my love. I was just watching like um just to kind of brush up on things. There was this a really great HBO like featurette of of Tales from the Crypt where they were doing one of the shows and it was with Isabella Rossellini or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it was his puns were unstoppable. Oh. He was just oh man, he just wouldn't stop. It's great, man. Like you read the comics too and and they're there. Almost oh, worse. Oh really? Oh yeah. Because you, <laughs> you read the introductions from all the hosts because there's three of them, like we'll talk about, but just rife with puns. It's incredible. I'm so glad I asked you that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so hard to, to come up with them off the top of your head. They are, because when you hear them, you're like, oh, that was easy. Duh. I could have thought of that. Yeah. And you're like, no, oh, no, I couldn't have. There's a certain art to it, for sure. Okay, oh, I was just trying to think of one with what you just said, and I couldn't. <laughs> it just turned into fart, and I'm like, that's not scary. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even work. Sometimes you, you're like, what? Yeah, that was reaching. how did you get that? That was apples and oranges, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Heather Weber, here with Caitlin Weber. Hi. (laughs) And Chris is missing this week. He's on a well-deserved vacation taking a road trip with Em for a couple weeks. So the girls be taking over. Well, at least that's what we told the police. Yes. (laughs) And and we're talking Tales from the Crypt this week. Of course, Heather can do it. You'll you'll hear it, you guys. Oh my gosh, it's really loud. So I'll try to warn you for for volume. Oh, good. <laughs> but this franchise is a beloved franchise to all three of us, and I'm sure that absolutely we'll revisit it again and again and again in the future. Yeah, I know. I remember on our Christmas episode, we talked about how we always listen to the or the Crib Keepers Christmas every single year. Yep. Yep. It's- it's it truly is beloved in our family. Yeah, and at, on episode fifteen, when you were talking about Creep Show, we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. it in EC Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely one of those hot topics in the Weber clan. Absolutely fascinating. And Heather was gracious enough to find all of the comics that people have put now online that you can see them of the original episodes from HBO that we all grew up on in the 90s, which was which was totally great. The show ran for seven seasons, and every single episode was based on a comic from the original EC series, all except for one. Just one episode was not based on really? one of them. Mm-hmm. Man, seven seasons? Yeah. Oh, my God. Today I was watching that featurette, and like I saw all of the other people that I had long forgotten, like, Brad Pitt was in it. Yeah. Like, Joe Pesci was in it. Fucking Tom Hanks was directed one of them yeah. or something? Or? I watched that one recently, and he, he played a small part in that episode, too. That's so crazy. And no. it was, like, the cool thing to do back then, I guess. Yeah. It's all amazing actors. Yeah, I'll talk about mine, the couple that I really liked and remembered. But, you know, watching them and then looking at the comics, and it's just... 
really great people acting out these things. It's super fun. Yeah. And, uh, and in a lot of the cases, especially one of the ones I'm talking about, the comic was way more fucked up than the actual episode of the television show. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I was like, God That's damn. crazy. <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe how close the the episode was to the ones I liked, too. Yeah, like, it I is. I couldn't believe it at all. Even down to the way the characters looked. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought I mm-hmm. was looking at it, too, and the casting was really amazing for it as well. Yeah, for sure. One of my episodes, it diverges quite far from the original comic strip. The main plot's the same, but they change the story around a lot. Nice. So, I mean, we were going to talk about our favorite episodes, but I kind of did a U-turn into a memorable one. I actually watched one I had never seen before. I looked up best episodes of Tales from the Crypt. And the number one one that came up was A Death of Some Salesman. I had never seen that one before. Buckle in, man. It's... (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't even know it existed, and I am so glad that I I do now. (laughs) I feel like I've heard that title before, or even I've looked it up as well and, and like, have seen that before. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. It's it's something. (laughs) Was it a star-studded cast? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, it's Tim Curry uh, doing <gasps> a. <laughs> Get the fuck out of Eddie here. Murphy. <laughs> he he plays... plays like three roles. No. Yes. Oh, I am watching this right after we record this. That is my you totally treat should. tonight. Jeez. <laughs> Ugh, I love him so much. I was just talking about Tim Curry with my boss. Oh, he's the best. He is the best. (laughs) Dang, I can't wait. Before we get into our episodes, I'm just going to give a brief history on Tales from the Crypt and the origins of EC. So EC Comics was originally named Educational Comics and was founded by Max Gaines in 1945. Can you fucking believe that shit, the Educational Comics thing? Like that that was it originally? It's, It's laughable. It is laughable. It blows my mind. (laughs) So Max Gaines had already made a fortune while he was with All American Comics, and he ended up selling his share of the company to form EC, publishing such titles as Picture Stories from the Bible and Animal Fables. Dry stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Max's vision was to use comic books as a teaching tool to children. But unfortunately, in a world dominated by tales of superheroes, popular cartoon characters, and pulp crime stories, sales weren't so great on these comics. He wanted to reach through that comic and grab the little boy or girl by the underpants and give them a goddamn wedgie with these (laughs) stories. He wanted to teach them about American history and world history, which is a really cool idea, but that's not the right audience i don't think snoozeville is what it is (laughs) yeah (laughs) so he and his son bill gaines had a rough relationship and this turned young bill off to the family business however in 1947 max was killed in a boating accident and bill's mother convinced him to take over the dying business and he could no longer call his son a piece of shit no good bastard all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah he was He was an asshole. Verbally abusive, I hear. Yes. 
So Bill's mother convinced him to take over the dyeing business, and E.C. was $100,000 in debt at the time of Max's death. Whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it took time for Bill to learn the ropes, and he changed the direction of the company productions from dry educational publications to crime and romance-themed comics. Bill changed the name to Entertaining Comics. However, this change did little to improve sales, and things were still dire for a couple of years. Now, Bill had joined forces with artist Al Feldstein. They started work on this new line of comics together, but this wasn't what interested the two men. They felt that producing the same old types of genre comics was uninspired and a misstep in such an oversaturated market. Inspiration struck when Al and Bill, now good friends as well as business partners, recalled their mutual love for the old horror radio shows. Oh my god. They developed two stories, The Crypt of Terror and The Vault of Horror, and ran them in their crime comics line. Woo! Sales improved immediately, and the two men changed the course of EC and created a new genre of comic. I just saw like that meeting between them where they were trying to figure out, you know, what what exactly do they need? And one just like, you know, gets like a fucking piece of roadkill from their briefcase and like slaps it on the table. And is like, this is what we fucking need right now. (laughs) I bet it was exactly like that. Carnage. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1950, they launched four titles, including Tales from the Crypt. Now, the stories typically feature a very bad person who gets their comeuppance in an ironic twist. The comics were usually pretty graphic and dark, but also playful and comical. Teens and young adults still reeling in the aftermath of war were drawn to these new horror comics. Drippy heads and big old boobies, that's what they got going on. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Some really sick uh, concepts, too. It's shocking. It's beautiful. Like, they really did, like, decomposing bodies, bodies being blown apart. Really gnarly stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. But it beautifully drawn. Yeah. They had wonderful artists on their team, and they all kind of specialized in their own focus. Style. Yeah, for sure. So Feldstein created the three original hosts, the Old Witch, the Crypt Keeper, who is much different than the modern version, and the Vault Keeper. And these hosts served as comic relief, offering bad puns and playful jokes surrounding the grim subject matter. Yes. (laughs) Now, these comics were wildly successful, and that cannot be overstated enough. And these issues were among the top-selling comics of all. Gaines and Feldstein had to write a story every day at a certain point. Wow. And they had to start borrowing ideas from movies and stories because it was just so much that they had oh, to Oh, I heard out. them mention they had to like look back in like literature and things like that to really start getting new material. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, they did. They did this so much that they actually once got pinched by Ray Bradbury for adapting two of his stories in their comics without notifying him first. Oh, dang. But somehow it ended up paying off because Gaines ended up collaborating with Bradbury and they went on to adapt 20 of his stories in their comics. (laughs) I'm calling because you stole my story, but really I just kind of wanted to say hi. Yeah, basically. Bill was like, well, I'll be happy to pay you. I just didn't know how to get a hold of you. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's talk turkey. (laughs) 
1952, Shock Suspend Stories was launched, and this was a controversial comic, tackling racial tensions, anti-Semitism, and subject matter very mature for young readers. These were dubbed the preachies. Mm-hmm. Gaines was always one to push the envelope. And also in 1952, MAD was also launched. Chock full of satire and social commentary, it was an instant hit. Gaines had turned a dying business into a massive success. Wow. Yeah. Well, because of this, horror comics became all the rage by 1953. Publishers seemed to try and make the most depraved and gory issues to keep up with the trend. Now a quarter of all comics published were horror. Wow. EC went harder on the gore factor, even surprising themselves and how far they went. And this gained the attention of critics and concerned parents. Oh, yeah. What was it? The decapitated head of the lady that really was used as an example? Yeah. Because of the blood coming down? There was a cover where there's a dude holding up a severed head. And I think the argument was, well, there's no blood. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. She's just, you know, taking a, a nap. Yeah. Out her body. <laughs> She's recharging. She's recharging her batteries. Damn it, I wish I could think of some fucking puns. (laughs) There's a a batteries. You know. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's good, Heather. Oh. Yep. I'll be here all day. (laughs) So a famous psychiatrist, Dr. Frederick Wortham wrote a book in 1954 called Seduction of the Innocent, and it detailed the damage that comic books had on children's minds. Juveniles! <laughs> yeah. He posited that the crime and horror comics were responsible for juvenile delinquency. PTAs and church groups went mental. They boycotted these comics and even had gatherings where they burned piles of these issues, which is so sad. Yeah, it is so sad. I thought to go back in time and steal a stack of them, like knock them out of a church lady's fucking hands and be like, see you later, nerd. And then like, you know, gather them all up, (laughs) get out of there. But yeah, it was it's kind of just like the whole satanic panic and like the metal and the parent advisory thing, you know, that, that we knew in our lives. Those kids were like, if anybody even did read the news or did hear about it because they weren't supposed to read it, that was a hot ticket. Oh, you know, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Kids work the same way no matter what generation you're in. Mm-hmm. You tell them they can't have it, they want it even more. Absolutely. I was that kid. <laughs> yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> Says the lady that her first book was Gerald's Game. <laughs> That's fucked up. Yeah, that, that might not have been the best choice, but that was no fault of our parents. I love it. You know, you go big or go home, Heather. <laughs> yep. <that's, Yeah. laughs> I unwittingly did that. Yes. <laughs> so this conflict made it to the courts where hearings were held, spearheaded by Dr. Wortham. His claims were definitely over the top, and Bill Gaines fought back. He defended the publications on the grounds of free speech. This backfired on Gaines and resulted in bookshops refusing to sell EC's comics. The Senate hearings resulted in an association being formed, the Comics Magazine Association of America. 
The group banned titles containing the words crime, weird, terror, and horror, which was a huge blow to EC. That sucks because all of those are so great. I know. It was such a blatant fuck you, Bill Gaines. Really. Dang. Well, I always know something's going to be good if I see the word terror in it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) For sure. It's a great search term. (laughs) (laughs) And also a code of ethics was formed by the association forbidding gore and violence. On September 14, 1954, Gaines announced that production would cease on EC's crime and horror comics. He created the new generation line of clean comics. But because of the stigma surrounding EC and Gaines's decision not to join the association, no retailers would sell his comics. Begrudgingly, he joined the association, but was met with none of his issues being approved by them. Dang. Yeah. So Gaines had to surrender. Mad Magazine was still very successful and continued its popularity for decades to come. Well, in 1972, Tales from the Crypt, the anthology film, brought new interest to the highly influential comics. Which, that shit is crazy. It's good. I like it. It is good. That The one part with the, the husband in the coffin, he had been embalmed, but he's alive again. Oh, yeah. God damn That's it. Right. That was disturbing. And the makeup is horrible, but the concept of it all is just horrendous. Yeah, they gave it a great try, and I enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's entertaining. Absolutely. Also in the 1970s, the comics were reprinted in hardcover collections and were extremely popular and sold well. So in 1982, George Romero and Stephen King collaborated on Creep Show directly inspired by EC's horror comics. <laughs> Perfection. Yes, they, they did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Then, in the 1980s, a group of producers, Richard Donner, Joel Silver, Robert Zemeckis, Walter Hill, and David Geiler, approached Bill Gaines to obtain the rights to the comics to produce a feature film. The idea was scrapped, however, and the television show Tales from the Crypt was born. Bill Gaines even consulted on the pilot episode, and all through the house. That's my top favorite episode ever, but... Oh, yeah. I think I want to save that for, like, a Christmas special or something. Yes, absolutely. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Bill Gaines that said at the end, have her continuously scream. It was. Yeah, that was crazy. Because you think it's a bit of an overkill, but it really keeps that flavor there. Or the spirit of it, rather. Absolutely. Yeah. I always kind of thought that part was cheesy. It's like, wow, she's screaming for a long time. But after I heard that, I was like, oh, (laughs) makes perfect sense. (laughs) Checking my watch, like, okay. But yes, it does make perfect sense. (laughs) Yeah, she's got some pipes. (laughs) 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 The stories featured in the show were storylines taken directly from the original EC comics. And the beloved Crypt Keeper character, brilliantly voiced by John Kassir, even spoke in puns, just like the original horror hosts in the comics. God, that must have been such a fun job for him. I hope he loved it. I really think he does, because I follow him on Twitter, and he does, he posts about Tales from the Crypt sometimes, and he also does a service for a certain amount of money. He'll call and, like, leave a voicemail greeting for you as the Crypt Keeper. (sighs) 
I know. What? <laughs> I know. It's dang awesome. <laughs> Putting that in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, as we all know, the show was a colossal hit. It ran for seven seasons, featuring a new batch of directors and actors on each episode. Todd Masters headed the special effects department. Nice. Yeah. And uh, the show led to the production of two feature films, at least two albums voiced by Kassir, a kid's Saturday morning cartoon show, a line of kids' books, and a huge array of merchandise. Oh, don't we know it. Oh, man. (laughs) I have a lot of it myself. (laughs) God, I always love the ones where he's wearing sunglasses and, like, looks like a surfer dude or some shit, but he's just this rotting corpse. It's so good. It's so 90s. (laughs) <laughs> and then not to I don't I, I don't mean to j- jump the gun, but not to mention Danny Elfman doing the intro song. Yeah, I actually forgot to mention that. So thank you for saying that. Oh, absolutely. It's my it's my ringtone for for Heather here. And I love to just <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I, I, just, I just like to listen to it sometimes because it's so good. It just like it just gets me so excited. I love that one. I love it, too. I'll just. Search on YouTube, Tales from the Crypt intro, and, and watch it sometimes. I just, yes, like that build up and at the end it's the, ah! And then like, <laughs> <laughs> When I was really young, that used to scare me, like when the Crypt Keeper would pop out of the coffin. Really? Yeah. I, you I'm know, just... it scared me too, come to think of it. That <laughs> shit was really scary. <laughs> it was like a good jump scare. Yes, <laughs> it fucking was. Yeah, and you knew it was coming every time, but it still it was scary. It didn't matter. Oh man, I just <laughs> and that castle was beautiful too, with all the going down oh. to the basement and stuff. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's so awesome. The whole yeah. thing. <laughs> I just wish that there was. It, it's just like the one and only. I just wish that there were more places in my brain or like TV shows or things I can go to that are that feel that good but there just aren't yeah I know what you mean yeah it's definitely one of those comfort things it's perfection yes so Bill Gaines passed in 1992 he was fondly remembered as a colorful character who did things his way well with that out of the way Let's talk about a couple of our favorite slash most memorable episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you want to start or would you like me to start? Oh, sure. I'll start. So the one that, and I never knew the title until recently, but it was the Nine Lives episode, which is Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. Yeah. Is, is that how you say it? Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember when I was a kid, that one specifically scared me really badly because the episode starts out where this gentleman is in a coffin and he tells you his story. So the little tagline here is, shoot him, drown him, hang him, zap him with a kajillion volts. Hey, it's a living. A man who receives a surgical graft of a cat's nine lives becomes a carnival sensation with his dying act. (laughs) So in this episode, this gentleman has a surgical procedure where it puts some kind of like 
Dula, Abla, Gata, like some fucking part of a cat's brain that gives you the nine, like gives you nine lives. <laughs> and um, he starts out as a hobo and like the scientists like approaches him. Sorry, y'all, I have, I have ADD. It kind of goes all over the place. But he approaches him and he's all like, I'm going to give you my life savings if you let me do a procedure on you. And he's all like, ah, ah. Like, totally, and he's, like, in a box and shit. (laughs) I remember this one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's so good. And the actor was, what was his name? Joe Pantoliano. So, yeah, so he gets the, he he agrees to have the the surgery because, of course, he wants a guy's life savings. He wants more booze, you know? Even if it's, like, a quarter or, like, $20 of a savings, he's happy. So he gets the surgery and he wakes up and there's two stretchers and <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound like a five-year-old or a six-year-old trying to retell a story badly. No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. So, um, um, so, um, he wakes up and there's, there's him and then there's a dead kitty next to him. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then he's got a big incision in the back of his head and he's all like, the fuck have you done to me doc oh my god and then the doctor just is like let's see if it works and so he just shoots him in the head right there oh jesus and it's pretty graphic and then he like dies and then he comes back and like somehow that bullet wound is healed i don't know how cats have that as well is he a vampire cat pyre catapire <laughs> a cat pyre he's, he's a caterpillar now <laughs> So, of course, when something really amazing or supernatural happens in Tales from the Crypt, you always think you can make lots of money off of it. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just that's just what you jump to. Of course. So, what do you do when you can die, what, eight more times? What do you do? What, do you, what could you possibly do with that? You join the circus in Tales from the Crypt is what you do. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? By the way, all of these performers are amazing, and I'm I'm so sorry that I can't pronounce a lot of these names, but nobody gives a shit who the doctor was. He was just some German guy. <laughs> but, yeah. And, but the other real star of the show was the, um, like, what, what are they called? Like, circus barkers? Yeah. That guy. His name is Robert Wool, and his name was Barker in the show. And let me tell you, this show... The director chose to shoot everybody from, like, under the chin. I remember that. In, like, really weird ways. It's like a Jane's Addiction music video meets, like, a Marilyn Manson music video the whole time. It's really crazy. So it's the performances are hypnotizing the way it shots hypnotizing. But then they go into all the different ways you die in a circus. So... One of them is uh, drowning, and then he, like, hooks up with some showgirl, and she's important later. That's the only reason I mention her. But she writes, like, her phone number on the tank, like, on lipstick when he's dying. And he's all like, <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought the most disturbing one, and, and it's on, like, the cover of the promotional covers they did for the show. Mm-hmm. Like, all the different re- recreations of the Tales from the Crypt stuff. But it's him dressed as, like, a rhinestone cowboy, and he's, like, at gallows, like, some homemade gallows they made with, like, sparkly stars all over it. And they pull the latch, and sure enough, he just, like, hangs himself in his sparkly cowboy outfit. 
It's crazy. How is that a circus act? I know. (laughs) And then, okay, so I can't even, like, he's electrocuted in one of them, and that's really fancy as well. Yeah. And then there's one that's super, super fucked up. It's where he's dressed as, like, a hunter or somebody camping, and he's behind a cutout bear that keeps going across the stage back and forth, but there's a hole where the bear's heart is or something. And you can pay $1,000 to take a shot at him with a bow and arrow. Jesus. And, like, people (laughs) keep missing, and the Barker's just doing amazing. He's just talking shit to everybody. It's so much fun. Yeah. But then, like, one guy comes up, and he's all, like, flexes his suspenders, and he's all got this gut. But he shows, like, a badge that says, like, archery winner or champion or something like that. <laughs> he just carries it around. <laughs> totally. I'm sure that's part of his identity when he's not at the circus. <laughs> of course. Carrying $1,000 in cash. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so he gives him the money, and t- sure enough, he makes the shot. Oh, and and he's also eaten up like five lives at this time because one of the lives, one of the first ones is he killed the doctor because the doctor wanted half of what he was making. So they drove him off of a bridge. And of course, he tragically dies and the other man lives. Oh, yeah. So the the girlfriend that originally wrote the lipstick on the tank, um, they're like living together and she's got a pet name for his wiener and everything. So, you know, it's serious. <laughs> Mr. Happy, I guess. And oh, Lord, and she's she's like kind of like an Audrey, but she's a circus broad. <laughs> they're, they're trying to like skip town because he's all like, I only got like two lives left, baby. I can't keep wasting them. And so she's like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she stabs him in the back and like takes all of the money and leaves. Oh, yeah. So he's double crossed. Double fucking crossed. So now all of the money he's made is magically gone because of this broad. Everything. Yep. And he decides to do one last performance, and that's where the episode starts or the, the comic starts. He's in that coffin and he's getting lowered down, and they're not going to bring him up, I think, for like 72 hours or something like that, just so he's like absolutely dead. Yeah. And absolutely. And he's giving this marvelous monologue like in in the beginning and in the end in this coffin and it's really claustrophobic and I remember that's what really super super scared me when I was a kid. But then at the end he's all like wait a second. I don't have any lives left because one of them was spent on the cat that died for him to li- to be that. Yes, they're twish. And then he just starts screaming and screaming, and then his screams blow out the candle, and that's the episode. Uh, yeah, that was a really good one. And that was the first season, wasn't it? I think so. It was very disturbing, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It's a fun one, too. Yeah. And all of the acting's pretty amazing. And, of course, like like I said, the camera stuff and the direction was great. Yeah. It was super well done all around. Yeah. How did it compare to the comic? The character looked a bit older, but it was pretty exact. Yeah. A a lot of the time they are. And the doctor looked a lot cooler because he's got a goddamn monocle. (laughs) He didn't in the show. Yeah, that was season one, episode three, for anybody who wants to check it out. Honestly, this one seems a lot more theatrical 
the deaths are a little bit more open air, like zany, zany, and they're like out in in the world a little bit more than on like a circus kind of setting. Yeah, dropped in a lake and stuff like that. It seems. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at it right now, and I was just looking at that he just sees the dead cat, and there's a little, like, a literal drawing of a dead cat where he's realizing that he's fucked. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah, what's, what's the last line here? <laughs> what's the last line here? As the last trace of oxygen vanished from the coffin, buried so deep. That's choke! Why choke! Gasp! <coughs> Dog laughed! <laughs> That's great. That is great. Dang. All right. So my first one is called Collection Completed. It's also from season one, and it's episode six, and that aired June 28th, 1989. And it's from The Vault of Horror, number 25, that was published in June 1952. Nice. So the Crypt Keeper greets us as usual, but... At this point in season one, he's still in his stage where he isn't quite his fully realized sassy self. He's kind of quiet and subdued. Oh, I noticed that. He's a little bit more serious about his job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he does introduce us to his dog, and its name is Peeve, and it's a taxidermy dog. Oh. <laughs> So the story opens with a rainy night, and we see a house full of various types of animals. And Anita, played by Audra Lindley from Three's Company, she's a cute little elderly lady and has apparently decorated the home for a retirement party. She's talking to everyone in the kitchen behind the closed door to stay quiet in order to surprise her husband, Jonas, who is played by Emmett Walsh from Blade Runner, Critters, and like tons of films. Wow. He comes home super cranky, and he's carrying a box of belongings from his workplace. He's upset, and he laments that after 47 years at the company, all he receives is a gold-plated hammer, which he shows to Anita. Oh my god, this episode. God damn it. Okay. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I I get genuinely upset at this one, actually. (laughs) I know, because you've showed me it before. It's so funny. (laughs) So he trips over a stray cat Anita had just taken in moments ago, and he fucking hates the animals, and he's, like, (laughs) yelling at her about them being everywhere in the house. But she's clearly lonely, and she spent her life caring for the animals. And he's ungrateful for all the effort she put into the party, so he goes upstairs to bed. And we find out that the guests that she invited to the party are actually just cats and dogs wearing party hats. Oh, no. Yeah. I wanted to have a real conversation, goddammit. <laughs> Basically. That's so funny. So Jonas has trouble adjusting to his new lifestyle, as does Anita. They keep getting in each other's way during their morning routines. And Jonas is actually just a big fucking baby about everything, and he totally sucks. Like, I hate his character. I remember hating He's his just a horrible too. person. Yeah. He's clearly jealous of the animals who have kept his wife company while he worked all the time, and he's constantly yelling at them and Anita throughout the whole episode. He doesn't really speak at a normal level. He just kind of yells everything he says. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonas's neighbor, Roy, played by Martin Garner, he was in the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, that cute old man with like the bottle, like the bottle glasses and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love him. 
So Roy comes to visit one afternoon, and he's trying to get Jonas to take it easy and take up a model plane hobby. But Jonas is determined to be productive, and he doesn't have any desire to relax during his retirement. He's constantly bitching about the animals around the house and yard at every turn. And as he talks to Roy, he realizes that he had no idea just how involved with animals his wife had become over the years. So he goes into the house to talk to her about it, but again, he's disgusted with the way she's interacting with them, so he just doesn't say anything to her. And Anita's trying her best to make Jonas happy and live with the animals at the same time. But make no mistake, she's definitely lost her marbles a little bit, too. That's right. She named (laughs) one of her pet bulldogs Jonas, which is his name. Yes. (laughs) And he's, like, not happy about it at all. (laughs) And she does stuff like she accidentally feeds him cat food instead of tuna. Oh, yeah. And then she, like, puts his aspirin in a brownie and feeds it to him when he asks for an aspirin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should have thought about that for not, like, you know, spending time with your goddamn wife all these years. I know. (laughs) So he doesn't ever talk to her about it, though. He doesn't have an adult conversation. He just sulks about it and passively, aggressively trims the hedges out back. He he (laughs) is trimming those hedges. (laughs) So one day as he's clipping the hedges, which are pretty bare at this point, Uh, He trips over himself into a nasty pond out back trying to chase a cat with the hedge clippers. And this is where he loses it. Like full-on disassociative look of defeat. He gets in the shower with all his clothes on and there's there's fish in the tub because (laughs) Anita's cleaning the tank. (laughs) He's not happy. (laughs) No! Yeah. (laughs) So we see Jonas in the basement again with a box full of random supplies. And around the same time, Anita notices that some of her favorite animal friends are missing, and she asks Jonas about it. He tells her that she's not allowed to come into the basement, and he doesn't really answer her question. So she continues her search for her dog Jonas, and then she sees him in the garden. However, he is dead and stuffed with these grotesque light-up eyes. And Jonas explains that he found a new hobby that joins both of their interests. And Anita is normally really sunny and optimistic, but she goes fucking apeshit. She's so upset and devastated, and Jonas just doesn't care. He's, he's like, lost it. Yeah, he thinks he's, he's done something clever, like, you know, gotten back at her for doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he's such an asshole. Mm-hmm. So Anita continues to frantically search for her other animal friends, uh, namely a cat named Mew Mew. Oh. And she discovers that they've all been brutally slaughtered and hung in the basement. Oh my god, I remember that part. (laughs) And Jonas is full on nuts. He's talking about his collection and that he's proud of his work. And Anita picks up his gold-plated hammer from the wall in the basement and whacks him over the head with it when his back is turned. And then presumably a few days later, we cut to the living room and Anita and Jonas are watching TV together. And then we see that human Jonas has been crudely stuffed and stitched together. And she dressed him in a floral pattern suit. It looks like a couch pattern. (laughs) Oh, my God. I have to watch. What was that one called again? 
collection completed. Oh my god. That one is crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) So Roy comes to see Jonas and Anita invites him in. She's like, oh yeah, come on in. And then Roy screams in horror when he sees what happened to his friend. And that's how it ends with Roy screaming. (laughs) It's like the end is a scream in in Tales from the Crypt. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So this is the one I I found the comic book version of this more disturbing than the show. Um, Jonas is openly talking about taxidermy in front of her the whole time. He doesn't hide it. There's no big reveal. He just goes in. The last straw is him stuffing Mew Mew, the cat, and uh, she stabs him instead of hitting him over the head with the hammer. Oh. But the ending is pretty much the same. <laughs> Maybe they like like there's some kind of censorship thing with that, like with stabbing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it was on HBO, so. I was going to say, because, yeah, one of the ones I liked, they just, they totally stabbed that person. Well, the the golden hammer is very funny. Yeah, and I mean, they tied in the whole uh, retirement narrative, too. That was a new element to the story as well. That wasn't in the comic. Yeah. But they also explain the process of taxidermy briefly in the comic. He'll be like, get a look at this, Anita. You have to skin the animal with peeling the leg skin back. And he talks about pulling the gums away. And it's just super graphic. For kids. Oh man, I bet they're just trying to meet their quota of gore back when like they found out the gorier it was, the more popular it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And Jonas is is much bigger asshole, if that's even possible, in the, in the comic than he was in the show. So I found that pretty interesting. Wow. Did the characters look about the same? Uh Anita looks younger in the comic. Oh, okay. But Jonas looks pretty close. Wow. Yeah. So that that's it for that one. Yay. I love that. I remember seeing him all sewn up and shitty like that and his eyes are huge and everything. <laughs> yeah, they're like ping pong balls. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so the other one I chose is Dead Right. And I love that one mostly because Demi Moore looks absolutely fabulous in it. It was like pretty close to the the days of where her hair was short in the movie Ghost and stuff like that. Yeah. And she was just such a cutie. It aired on April 21st, 1990. And I'm not sure when it was published originally, but... It's a story about a gold digger. Ooh. So the the tagline for this is, For the money, honey, a gold digger marries a slob in hopes of gaining an inheritance. So they dress Demi Moore in, like, actual beautiful 1940s, 50s vintage to a T in this show. It's so, so beautiful. But, um... Yeah, she's just like a lot of the younger women characters. They're just all like, yeah, fuck you, man. Like, I just want money. I want jewels, you know. Yeah, totally entitled bitch, basically. So, yeah, she's just like, give me that. Give me that fucking, give me that sweet shit. Give me them diamonds. I want that money. <laughs> so her characters kind of like talks like 1940s, you know, like uh really heavy slang, like quick-witted and sassy. Yeah. And she, I guess she's a secretary and her friend tells her to go to a psychic. 
and it's just like a kind of a stereotype of a you know Romani woman that that's a psychic and stuff like that and of course in the comics she's haggard and nasty but in this she's kind of like Faye Dunaway or something or just like Gloria Swanson where she's a little bit fabulous she's got like a face mask on and stuff at some point (laughs) she's doing aerobics at some point in the show like the psychic lady because she keeps going back to her and she's just she's really cute but she tells Demi Moore's character whose name is Kathy she's like today you're gonna get fired from your job you're gonna lose your job but then you're gonna have another job right away and she's like, well, what about the money? I want to marry well. That's the only reason I'm here. I want, to, I want to find a rich husband. What do I do? Is that in my future? And the lady says, you'll marry into wealth mm-hmm. and you'll get everything. So she says that in a way where it's like, because at the end, of course, it's a monkey paw situation where it's going to bite her in the ass somehow. Of course. But yeah, something about like, and you'll get everything. So sure enough, she she's on her lunch break as a secretary. She goes back to work, and her boss is supposed to be out of town. And her friend's like, you know, looks kind of shocked when she comes in, and she's like, "What's eating you?" You know, and 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 she she calls like her boss an asshole in the same breath. Somehow she's like, "That asshole's out of town," like kind of thing. She's like ten yeah. minutes late, and he's all like. Normally, I wouldn't be upset by that kind of language, but you're ten minutes late. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she gets fired, and she's like, well, "Damn it, she was right." And she's walking down the street. And she's also in a beautiful swing coat with like a silk fucking white scarf with flowers on it, and like cat eye glasses with her cute fucking <laughs> short hair, looking amazing. And then uh, she's walking down the street and, like, some cocktail waitress in, like, you know, the Selena, like, bra, high pants situation. (laughs) (laughs) She's cursing at some, like, bartender and being like, I want to work for you, blah, 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 blah. And he's all like, get out of here. And, like, tells her to leave and she's all like you you can't replace me and then he just yells at Demi Moore Kathy and goes hey you want a job and she's all like well yeah yeah I do with her like sexy Demi Moore voice (laughs) (laughs) so she goes back to the psychic and she's just like so what it was a streak of of good luck how did you know that I was going to lose my job like all right, tell me more about this person I'm supposed to meet where I'm going to get everything. Yeah. And she's like, you're going to meet him tonight at work and he's going to be a very big man. And she's all like, big, <laughs> huh? And, and she's just like, I think the psychic even tells her, she's like, he's going to be really gross and you're not going to like him, but you're going to get everything <laughs> and you have to get married to him. And, and she's like, okay. But then the psychic says, but... One of you will be widowed. And she's all like, a widow, huh? That sounds pretty sweet. She's smoking a cigarette (laughs) thinking about diamonds, I'm sure. (laughs) She doesn't sound too bright. (laughs) No. But she's pretty cute and sassy in this, I will say. Yeah. (laughs) What's something that she meets the the guy, the character that we're going to talk about in a second, but she says something. He's like, ugh. I'm a little overweight. And she's like, yeah, and Hitler's a little (laughs) anti-Semitic. 
<laughs> like that kind of shit. Burn. I think she even says more things like that. <laughs> like something about Mother Teresa too or like something else. <laughs> really funny. Okay. Oh, wow. So anyway, she goes to work that night at the and, and she by the way she is now a cocktail waitress at a strip club. Oh. Lots of pasties. Lots of boobies. Oh, yeah. Lots of Miss Montanas of 1948, I hear. And <laughs> she's in this hot number. It's like this. <laughs> you know when it's like a kind of a, a beigey, like Caucasian flesh color under black lace? Yes. It's like that, but skin tight, like turtleneck, long sleeve, but like hot pants. It is like oh, yeah. super foxy. <laughs> I don't even think they were hot pants. I think it was all just like the sheery kind of lace like that. It was pretty groovy. Anyway, so let's see. This is the actor's name. So it's Demi Moore and... Jeffrey Tambor? Jeffrey Tambor, yes. Like he even played like a trans woman recently on like an HBO show. Like, Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. he's really well known. But I guess he was he was quite a bit younger back then. But in this episode, he does not look good. They did a great job. Well, he's in a fat suit, yeah, right? making him look like shit. And here is an example of where the special effects people and the makeup people really must have looked at the comic because he's got a nose exactly like the character in the comic. And he looks oh, no exactly as disgusting, like down to the comb over in, in the comic, like to the hair. That's awesome. He looks gross. Even the skin tone is like a little bit... Darker than his skin tone, it, it seems, in, like, real life. It was kind of closer to the character. Yeah. But, yeah, he's really, really gross. <laughs> and so he's he's hitting on, De on uh, Kathy, you know, Demi Moore's character, and she's just like, get lost. Like, not in a million years <laughs> kind of thing. And she remembers what the psychic says, but she's just like, I can't. He's too gross. I can't do it. And so... <laughs> The next day, she goes to have lunch with her, you know, girlfriend who was the secretary with her the, at the, the last job. At the last job. Yeah. And she's talking about what the psychic said about, you know, this being most likely being the guy that's going to make her rich. But she's telling her yeah. friend, like, oh, he's just fucking disgusting. But then her friend's like, you should just go for it, though. You should just kind of do it. <laughs> <laughs> to, okay yeah i'm trying to convince her and then there's this beautiful montage where they're just talking about all the different ways that he's gonna die and she's gonna inherit the money and they show it <laughs> like he gets hit by a bus he like chokes to death and it's cool because like the choke to death scenario they're they're eating like in a cafeteria like lunch style it's like him on in another table in the same room that they're talking about it so she goes back to the psychic one more time, and, she, and the psychic's just like, yes, that's the guy. You're going to get a lot of money. You're going to be so rich. And so she's just she's like, like fuck. All right. She's like, fuck. And so <laughs> um, so the first, first night he does ask her on a date, and she's just, you know, says the anti-Semitic comment, you know, the Hitler thing. And yeah. <laughs> um, then the second night she's just like, okay, fine, I'll go on a date with you. And they go on a date and they go dancing and he's just really fat and gross and he's 
also makes really corny jokes all the time and like is really overly confident and like they're dancing together and he's like stepping all over uh over her feet and he's like wow you're really light on on your feet and she's like yeah i wish you were light on my feet and he's like huh and she's like it's a delight to meet you (laughs) (laughs) and it's the end of the night and he he wants a kiss so she gives him a kiss and then she's like okay all right Mm, bye and then she like immediately (laughs) throws up in her sink oh (laughs) jeez so then all this bullshit goes by and she he asks her to marry him after like a week of knowing each other and she's all like yeah she's like i don't know it's so sudden you know what if something were to happen to me or to you who could take care of us in your family what's going on in your family <laughs> like trying to get at the what's the sitch yeah trying to get to the bottom of where this goddamn money's at because he doesn't have any right now he's poor yeah and he likes strip clubs oh yeah and he compulsively eats not not the most ideal man (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) and so he's all like oh i got this uh i got this uncle uh yeah i guess he owns some factories he's pretty he's pretty well off you know I, i guess so he says something else that just makes it sound more like that could be a possibility but yeah it's it's almost like misheard or missaid yeah and there's another montage of they get married and she's just like, oh, God, kind of thing. And, of course, she looks fabulous in that, too. Yeah. Um, she has, like, an ostrich feather going across her head for some reason. Oh, nice. like, it's, just, it's just amazing. <laughs> and then she's she's vacuuming their house and stuff and he's just eating, like, fucking ribs on the couch, getting sauce all over his goddamn shirt. And then... <laughs> She's vacuuming, and he goes, hey! And she's like, what? And he's like, you missed a spot. <laughs> like that kind of shit. And then yeah. like, he, he gives her, like, there's another one where she's in the laundry room doing laundry, and he gives her, like, shitty underwear, like, just, like, nasty uh, stained underwear. And yeah. he's like, don't forget to get out the spots. and so she pulls like a bottle of gin from under the clothes and like takes a drink and stuff (laughs) and so they had to like get it on a couple times and and it's 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 been like three months at this point that they've been married and she's just absolutely had enough of it she's just all like you talked to your uncle lately (laughs) and he's like what do you mean why would i have talked to my uncle he's probably with his family and she's like Family. <laughs> she loses her shin on him and storms out. Yeah. And then she goes to the psychic a final time. And she's all like, it's been three months. Nothing's happening. He's not going to get an inheritance. I'm not going to get an inheritance. Fuck this. Fuck both of you. The lady's like filing her nails. Yeah. And Demi Moore like slams the door and she's like, oh, you'll get the inheritance. <laughs> Zelda's always right. Yeah. Demi Moore's all pissed off and she must be she must have been so pissed that she got hungry. So she decided to go to some kind of like uh, you know those in the 40s they used to have vending machines that were almost like a bus terminal where you'd like put your coins in and you press a button and you pull out like a whole thing of food. Oh, sure. That's pretty cool, but she was doing that and then all of a sudden all these press and like photographers and all these people swamp her 
and they're like, you're a millionth customer. Congratulations. She's like, what? And she, he's like, what's your name? Mrs. Kathy Malone. And he's all like, because you're a millionth customer, here's a million dollars. What? And so she gets a check for a million dollars. And so she's just like, fuck this. So sure enough, she goes back to the home that her and the sobby husband share. And his name's Charlie, by the way. I can't believe it took me this long to say his name. <laughs> but Charlie is, uh, you know, just in sweats and lounging around, you know, looking cute, feeling himself yeah. in the apartment, you know, <laughs> probably just finished off a, a rack of lamb or something like that. <laughs> Sloppy Joe's. Yep. And she's all in like white satin. And, like, a golden purse and stuff that's just filled with money. Like, there's money coming out of the purse kind of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Diamonds. I mean, everything. And she's packing up her shit. I don't... Okay, one, if she's going to leave the guy, I don't know why she's going back to pack up her shit. Because she doesn't need that shit anymore. But maybe she just had some favorite... You you all have those favorite bras. His favorite panties, mm-hmm. his favorite socks, something. So she goes back and she just lets Charlie have it. She's just like. Lays into him. Yeah. And she just says the worst things to him. Says that, you know, he's a piece of shit. He's disgusting. He's lazy. And she's like, hey, you know what? Maybe you should fucking eat a salad sometime. And mm-hmm. also, why don't you fucking think about taking a bath without the fucks in there? But she's, you know, got that much, that much venom, venom behind it. (laughs) And so he's getting more and more visibly upset, like Hulk mad, like he's getting mad. Yeah. And, and he's, he's starting to block the doorway and he just starts saying to himself, like under his voice, he's like, if I can't have you, no one else can. And she's like, what? Get out of my way. And then he like gets a kitchen knife. And then he's holding it up, and he's like, if I can't have you, no one can. And then she's just all like, oh, baby, Charlie, don't. Don't do it. Like, put down the knife. Put it down. <laughs> and you know where he puts it down? In her fucking chest. <laughs> <laughs> and Demi Moore is a fabulous dyer, by the way. Oh, is she? Dies. Yeah, she did. She did a really good job. <laughs> she did the whole, like, bah, oh, bah. with the blood coming out of the mouth that was really good but i just have to say in summation um the comic's pretty almost exact with this one i don't know if it was a stabbing at the end but i'm pretty sure it was yeah and the fortune teller was a little different but i'm kind of shallow and i really dislike this episode because she looks so fucking great in it There's nothing wrong with that. It's the best. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I remember that one pretty well. Yeah, that guy does a great job. Yeah. I I liked Demi Moore when I was younger, probably because Disney. Oh, Disney? She was Esmeralda, you know? Oh, fuck, yeah. She was She was good as Esmeralda. Yeah. Ooh, that shit was, that was like too sexy for Disney. Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. That movie was was a departure, for sure. It's still my favorite Disney movie of all time. It really is. Yeah, it's up there for me, for sure. Man, Frollo and the boobies and the fire lady. (laughs) That is too hot to handle. (laughs) 
It sure is. <laughs> it's shocking. I was scandalized. Mm-hmm. You didn't see the part where he's like flossing the scarf in between his little butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> they were smoking something when they greenlit that thing. I was gonna say how did there must have been like switching of hands of people and it just like flew under the radar or something. Yeah. It was definitely surprising that yeah. that made it through. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, my next one and, and the last one we'll talk about is The Death of Some Salesman. It's season five, episode one. It aired October 2nd, 1993. And the original comic is in The Haunt of Fear, number 15. That was published in May 1950. Woo! So we're in season five now. The Crypt Keeper is in full goddammit mode. He is <laughs> just full throttle Crypt Keeper. So he's dressed as a home shopping host and says wonderful things such as, Next up on the Home Shopping Network, it's time for the Crypt Keeper's fashion boutique. We've oh got everything God. from face scream to mascara. Try some. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. God damn it, Crypt Keeper. I know. And I thought it was really funny because I used to work for like a shopping network. Mm -hmm. So I think I found it a little more funny than I should have. So the story opens up with a pretty steamy sex scene between an attractive young waitress and a much older man. And he's played by Ed Begley. He's a television and voice actor. He's done just tons and tons of things throughout the years. And of course, we find out that he's been a complete sleazeball to this woman and was just using her for bang time. And we also find out that he's a salesman. So Judd reads obituaries to find work. He sells cemetery plots and he offers these too good to be true packages to people just to get them to make a down payment. And then he'll take the money and run and they'll never see him again. Whoa, that's fucked. So he's really just like a con artist. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say the music for this episode is exceptionally bad. Is it just like... It's got that midi twangy feel to it because he's like out in the countryside. He goes to all these isolated country homes where bumpkins live because they're easier to swindle. Dang. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'm watching that right after this. So Judd visits his second household for the day and Ma Brackett who is actually Tim Curry in Old Age Drag. She answers the door. <laughs> and <laughs> Hello. <laughs> She's a, a quirky lady, and she invites him in once she learns he's a salesman. And then she calls in Paw Bracket, which is also played by Tim Curry in Old Age Makeup. And they all sit in the living room to discuss what Judd is peddling. And the brackets quickly and easily are on board with him selling them the cemetery plot. This is Dubby Tim Curry right now, like two of him. Yeah, it's a husband and wife played, both played by Tim Curry. <laughs> and they're like old Southern people. You know, he's British. Oh, what? It's, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Magenta, Columbia. <laughs> They're they're totally into it, and we learn that they have a lot of money, even though they live in this dingy-looking house in the country. 
So while they're making the deal, Judd is offered a cup of coffee while Pa goes to get the money from the basement, but his coffee is cold. So he opens the microwave to warm it up and he finds a severed head sitting inside the microwave. Whoa, okay, I was just going to say, hold the phone. They've got a microwave out there. But then you said the severed head, and that kind of made me switch gears a little bit. (laughs) Well, they got all, like, the latest appliances because they work with salesmen all the time. Oh, I see. Okay. They talk about that. So when he sees this head, he, like, stumbles back and trips over a whole-ass corpse in the kitchen. Yeah. So (laughs) Ma and Pa surround him, and then they knock him out. Oh, that's really scary. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So cut to Judd coming to in the living room, which now has a couple or several corpses scattered about the room. I I can't remember exactly how many. And Ma and Pa are discussing whether they're going to kill him or not. Ma says they should see if their daughter Winona wants to marry him. And Pa says that no man will ever want her, but eventually he relents. Oh my god, is this like a phenomena situation where it's like the little boy in the basement where his face is all fucked up and stuff? Kind of. (laughs) Dang! (laughs) So Ma and Pa then reveal that they kill salesmen because they hate that they try to sell people things that they don't need to steal their hard-earned money. So they have like this vendetta against salesmen, and that's why they have all these appliances and everything. I hate them too, but I'm not going to kill them. (laughs) And the props, by the way, the corpse props are awesome. It's super gruesome and great. Just awesome. I'm in for a treat. Y'all are in for a treat, too. Ooh, this sounds good. (laughs) So next we are introduced to Winona, which is Tim Curry in freakish homely woman drag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The show just just stop. It's so good. <laughs> so Judd and Winona end up in her very Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque bedroom. She's got like baby dolls hanging up everywhere. Oh, it's really weird. <laughs> you know, Judd's going into self-preservation mode. So he tells her that she's beautiful, which she's <sighs> not. She's like <laughs> deformed and just... Haven't we all been in self-preservation mode once or twice in <laughs> <Yes>. our lives? <laughs> Winona tests him by trying to take him to Pound Town and (laughs) and this is just this is insane so Judd ends up trying to will a boner to prove to her that he does love her (laughs) he's just like she's just like look at this clam burger now get into it (laughs) he's just like sitting in the bed like "Mm," and he's like sweating (laughs) <laughs> and he's oh, oh. Winona's like staring at his crotch and then he finally makes it happen and he's she's like you do love me and then what <laughs> what happens next is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen on this show um so oh my it's god Tim Curry in this grotesque drag like stiffly and very loudly humping the salesman with a dead stare on his face and staring him in the eyes. I'm really scared. I can't wait to see it, but I'm scared. It is hilariously uncomfortable. God damn, that sounds so bad. And his eyes are so bulgy, too. 
Yikes. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after this, Winona decides that she does want to marry Judd. And he agrees once she tells him of the dowry of $50,000 that they will receive upon marriage. So, but that's just a dowry. That ain't all of it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. And uh, it's also revealed that the money was taken from all the dead salesmen that the family has killed over time. So they didn't even, I mean, is that earning it? Is that earning it, Heather? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Oh. There's, there's, there's some issues with these people's moral compass, I think. All around. Yeah. It's either, it's like a, a Robin Hood situation or just not at all. I don't, I guess it's, it's <laughs> just not at all. <laughs> so next we cut to the living room where their wedding is being officiated by Pa. And Judd is still handcuffed at this point. Then Pa pulls out a gun and he says that he has to kill the salesman anyway. And Winona gets pissed and she like totally goes like hulking out on them and she kills both of her parents oh i'll just have to see it but i was gonna say was it smooth or was it like kind of goofy or it was like kind of creepy goofy if that makes sense okay okay so after the parents are dead winona uncuffs judd and he sneakily picks up pa's gun that he had dropped and stuffs it in his pants so the couple go to the basement to get the dowry money and Judd pretty much immediately shoots Winona right when they get down there. And he starts digging in the dirt floor of the basement to find the money. And he finally hits a box after he's dug this huge hole. But instead of money inside of the box, it's a death certificate with his own name written on it. Then comes the double cross twist because he turns around and none of the family members are dead. They're all alive. It was all an act. What? So Pa shoots Judd dead in the grave that he's dug for himself. What? Why would they do that? What? It's Tales from the Crypt. You know, it's you have to kill people elaborately sometimes. What? They wanted, I think. That's crazy. Yeah, I think they were just like a sadistic family that wanted to fuck with him one last time before he died. I mean, if you want to try to rationalize the Tales from the Crypt storyline. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I, I yes absolutely i mean these guys were coming up with these storylines in like a day so yes <laughs> so uh that's the end of the story and we go back to the crypt keeper and he's still selling items on the home shopping network oh god yes. and he declares i guess it's true what they say the family that slays together stays together <laughs> oh my god yes that's so good you got to save that one. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, the comic version of this was pretty messed up, too. However, the story was a bit more layered in in the show. It was just the old couple living in the house by themselves. There was no daughter to it in the original comic. So it was a lot more simple and, and shorter hmm, of a okay. storyline in the comic. So I, th- I thought they did a great job with adapting it in the show. Yeah, the daughter part's cuckoo bananas. That's nuts. I know. It was crazy. That's so weird. I'm so I'm about to be so upset when I see it. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> Ew. Oh my god. It's you have to see it though. It's so funny. I'm oh it's it's happening tonight. <laughs> I wanna oh, know yes. what you think. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm just, I can't get Tim Curry's bulging eyes humping a man out of my head now. It's, it's so much worse than you can imagine. Because I'm like, he, to me, he, in my head, he just looks like like whatever happened to Baby Jane a little bit. Picture like boils and like extreme scoliosis and stuff. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Yes. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Okay. I don't know how he took this role. That's I'm so proud of him. <laughs> and I read uh, on the trivia that apparently they approached Eddie Murphy to play this role first, and he turned it down. He's probably like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was my last episode. <laughs> well, bravo. That was really bizarre. Yeah. Just like it should be. It's a great show. It gets kind of clunky during the last couple of seasons because I think it moves from HBO to like Fox eventually and oh I remember that uh-huh. yeah so obviously they can't push the envelope as far as they could on HBO but it's still fun absolutely yeah you know and I tried finding more podcasts or documentaries or things about it and like there's just not many people who talk about Tales from the Crypt too much have you noticed that yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like it's going to make a comeback here. I think it's on the verge because okay. I'm seeing more of the merchandise pop up in my feeds, like T-shirts and figurines and stuff like that. So I think it's about to blow up again. Well, God, I hope so. Yeah. I was just going to say we should do this again more. Just talk about our favorite episodes and compare and contrast because it's so interesting. I think so, too. I, I think it's... So much fun. I It's one of my oh, favorites. It is so much fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can't wait to dive back in and, and explore all of them. Yeah, it's it's batshit bananas crazy sometimes. But, I mean, the comics were, too. I was truly shocked to see, like, how off the rails they were. Because, you know, you think the 1950s, oh, how bad could it be? The show's probably way worse, but nope. Wow. Not at all. Wow, that's so surprising. But yeah, I have a lot of the reprints of them here at the house. I love it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like, of course, they got banned if they were even more extreme than that, you know. Yeah. And they probably couldn't handle that at all. I can kind of see it. I mean, I hate to to be that guy, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can see how parents were outraged by it. Not that I would say that you should go and start banning stuff like that. Put them out of business, yeah. Maybe a parental advisory situation would have been a good idea. And I think that was what the association was kind of trying to do. But unfortunately, since Bill Gaines was so outspoken about it and just so like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want to do, it backfired. Well, it's a classic now, so they can kiss our asses. Yep, that's right. It's, It's a beloved... It's crazy it only ran from, like, 1950 to 1954, those horror comics, but they are legendary. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts? Oh, gosh. It's just, yeah, if you don't know about Tales from the Crypt or haven't brushed up in a while or just never really visited it at all but have been aware of it, check it out because it's a riot. It's so fun. Yeah, and uh, you can watch a lot of the episodes on YouTube. Um, there's people that upload them all the time. 
So yeah, a whole playlist. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even we didn't even mention like Patricia Arquette's crazy nutso episode or like yeah. God, what are some of the other ones? Brad Pitt's even in an episode. I don't even know what that shit's about. Never even seen that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of good big actors. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger directs an episode of Tales from the Crypt. And he kisses the Crypt Keeper, and it's the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a pretty good one. I-, I like that one a lot. So, yeah, we'll have to-, to revisit it for sure. Fuck yeah. God damn it. Well, I guess we should do socials then. Yes. You can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. <laughs> and you can find Chris by searching on Instagram and Facebook for Christopher Weber. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas. And you can hear my narrations on Creepy Tales to Terrify and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Dang, that's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. All right. Well, happy October, everyone. Get spooky. And we will see you uh, at the last week of October. I think our epi- next episode comes out right before Halloween. So hopefully we'll have Whee! something good and spooky planned for you. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>